it's amazing how you can develop a heart connection with people that aren't even your tribe. I mean, you know what I mean, Tammy? Like, yeah, you, you, you guys like aren't even quote unquote my people, but like I, I feel emotion like for you guys. I love you like my family. I, I really do. I mean that. I, Shirley, I love you, girl. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I really, and I, <laughs> my heart's not to disappoint people, but like, I, I, I really don't have like a message tonight. Because I, I felt strongly, I was sitting with Carl and I was sitting with Sue and, and when we were, we were sitting together and, and, I was having coffee and it was getting closer to the time and I whispered this into Tim's ear before I came before the worship started. I said, I just want you to know what it is that I'm hearing. And this, this is what I heard that I felt like God wanted to do tonight. And he said, I want you to recommission my people. I, I, find, it, I find it interesting that in 2012, I was the donkey God chose to use. And guys, it could have been anybody. And I still tell your story wherever I go places. Very few times have I seen genuinely a corporate baptism in the Holy Spirit like I've had in this place, at my church, and in very few other places. Maybe maybe men's meetings, youth meetings, and youth retreats and things like that. Very rarely have I seen it where God would corporately fall upon a group of people. And I, I just, I felt like the Lord said, I, I just want you to just recommission them tonight. I just want you to, and, and that's what prophets would do. Prophets would anoint, set people in place, set leaders in place, set kings in place. And I, I'm not saying what happened in 2012 is going to happen tonight. That's not even necessarily what I'm going for. What I'm going for is just being obedient to the Lord. To just lay hands on you and, and, and literally like, I, I, if I could say it like this, to just give you divine permission again. To just, and I think part of the reason why God really isn't giving me much to share by way of a message is because you guys got a lot this weekend. To be honest with you, you need to spend time digesting that, not getting more. Sometimes we don't need more information. What we need is transformation. The, the word the word that God gave me for this year and I've heard other prophets share things that are similar to it Jennifer LeClaire used the word metamorphosis the Lord gave me the word transfiguration in the Greek it's the same when Jesus is transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration it's the Greek word for metamorphosis it's the same word that's used that you'd be transformed by the renewing of your mind it's the same Greek word for metamorphosis it's a beautiful picture. And probably the most common understanding we have in the natural is when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. But it's the idea, guys, it's the idea that God wants to take what's inside of you and bring it outside of you. When, when, they, were, when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw something they never saw before. And I, I'm telling you, I'm here to tell you tonight, people want an encounter with the Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what people are hungry for. People are hungry for an encounter with the Father. When, when Philip is with Jesus and he said, show us the Father and it's enough for us, guys, that's the heart cry 
of every person on the planet, whether they realize it or not. People want an encounter with the Father, but they're not going to have it if we're walking around hurt, frustrated, angry, bitter, resentful, unforgiving. If it's even remotely about us and the way we think it should be and how we feel about it, they're never going to see Him. You're not called to give them a piece of your mind. You're called to give them a piece of His mind. You're called to give the mind of Christ, not your opinion. His counsel, His wisdom, the sound mind of the Lord. And we have to, guys, get to the place where we honestly, this is where I'm going. There's three things I'm asking from the Lord this year. To die to myself greater, to know His love more, and to overcome intimidation once and for all. Because I've seen that thing stop. The work of God in churches. And listen, sometimes intimidation doesn't come through a person. It comes through your circumstances. Where the circumstances aren't favorable. And they cause you to back down. And the goal of intimidation is to displace you. To get you to let go of your authority. Your place in the spirit. Because the enemy doesn't have any authority. If Jesus has all authority, that by default. By default, that means somebody doesn't have it. And you're seated with Him in heavenly places. And I told you, there's a shift that's coming this year. And one of them is from I lo- or He loves me to I love Him. Because that's going to do something different. And who am I to why am I here? That we begin to understand our authority, not just our identity. That we begin to understand what's available to us. Because there's territory that God wants us to occupy. It's rightfully yours. And God has not changed his mind about this house. It doesn't matter what you guys have walked through. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And I was driving in. I was following uh, Carl and, and, and Sue. And man, I felt, and I know I've shared words like this with you guys in the past. But the Lord was quickening my heart. He said, Brian, I've called this place to be a model. You guys are called to be a model for how ministry can really be done. For what it looks like to have the fivefold in place. For what it looks like, guys, to value people. For what it looks... And I felt like the Lord said, I mean, this is a heavy word. Time will tell. I felt like God said, books will be written about what I want to do here in this house. What I want to do in this place, through a group of people fully yielded that would just say yes to me. That's all he needs is a divine yes. He will work with your yes. That's all he needs. And whether or not a book is written about this place or not, it's irrelevant. The point is, God has not changed his mind. And so when I was sitting there in the pew, I was talking on Saturday night about the Spirit of the Lord God upon me to bind up brokenhearted and claim release to captives. And we addressed the spirit of fainting, that God wanted to give a mantle of praise for a spirit of fainting. And here's the conclusion. So that, verse 4, you would raise up the former devastations. That you would rebuild the ancient cities. And there were things that were meant to be done here. Things generations ago that were meant to be done here. That God forfeited and let go. Maybe because control was in the room. Maybe because intimidation was present. Maybe because fear was there. But God has not changed his mind about the assignment. You guys will fulfill what this church was set apart to do. Rebuild the former devastations. Rebuild the ancient cities and the ancient ruins.
So the word that the Lord gave me for this year, I guess I am preaching a little bit. The word that the Lord gave me for this year is from Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, your light's come. Get up. If I could sum up the year with six words, it's time, get up and let go. It's time, the alarm's ringing. I gave this word on December, I don't know what what the last Sunday was in what the last, well, it was, it was New Year's Eve. I gave this word New Year's Eve at my church that morning. And that morning, as I was sitting there alone, as I got up early and prayed, and I heard, I heard this, the alarm clock in the spirit. I heard it ringing. It's time. Get up, which means what? It's, it's time. It's time to get up. You can't stay in self-pity. Self-pity is the greatest trap, one of the greatest traps of the enemy. Offense, one of the greatest traps of the enemy. This is what Paul wrote. It's one of my favorite passages. 2 Corinthians 5 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. I, I hope you hear my heart when I say this. He said, the love of Christ controls us. Not my day going right. That's not what motivates me. Not everybody agreeing with me. Not everybody being on my side. Not everybody seeing it the way that I see it. No, the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. Now, you guys know this. When Adam and Eve in the garden partook of the tree and and, and God said the day you eat the tree is the day you die, they didn't fall over dead. But they lost something. That's why it says, I've come to seek and save that which was lost, not the lost. What they lose? Identity. Purpose, significance, value, their need, not their need for love, but their source of it. So what did God come to restore? All of those things through the Son to get them back. That you and I could step in by faith, saved by grace, through faith. That all these things I might be reconciled back to the Father. Because He's the way, the truth, and the life. So when he says all have died, what he's saying is this: the lie about you. It's gone. I don't have to weigh a book by its cover anymore. When I teach this in my school, when I teach this at the Unveiling Prophetic School, the greatest prophetic core value I have is every person in this room is worth being loved and being ministered to. The cat's out of the bag now. The love of Christ controls us, or compels us, depending on your translation, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. That's the truth about each and every person in the room, even the ones that have hurt you and wounded you, have walked it doesn't matter at the end of the day each person is worth the shed blood of Jesus, whether they see that or not, it's not up to me to 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 figure out for them every single person is worth his shed blood that one died for all therefore all have died, so that those who live, here's the key may no longer live for themselves, but for Him who rose or who died and rose again on their behalf. And I've been beating this all weekend long. Guys, as long as it, it's about me, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. If I'm waiting for you to do me right, that means I'm only doing as well as you're doing me. If I'm waiting to, to finally get the applause, if I'm waiting for people just to treat me the right way or for things to go my way, for my duck, when are your ducks in a row, gang? Come on. 
Listen, Jesus, it says in John chapter 2, he didn't entrust himself to men. Why? Because he knew what was inside of them. Now, I'm not called to put all my trust in you, but I'm called to live trustworthy before you. I'm called to put my trust in him. Why? Because people are fickle and they're subject to change. And one day they're singing, Hosanna, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And in the same breath, kill him. Crucify him. But when I wake up in the morning, this is what I've been doing when I've been driving in the car. Father, I'll tell you, you know where the freest place is on the planet when it's just not about you? When nobody owes you anything. Nobody owes you anything. I I didn't wake up like when, when I and I, I nobody was touched more wrongly and treated more unjustly than the Son of God. He never touched anybody wrong. He never did wrong. He never took that stuff personal to heart. Came to his own, his own received him not. And I want that kind of love to dominate me. To overtake every fiber of my being. That when listen, that I cry for you, not because of you. I don't think when when the Bible talks about that Jesus was a man of sorrows, that he was crying for himself. got to stop the fighting, the bickering, the comparing. We've got to love one another. Behold, a new commandment I give you, but it's not really new. It's an old one. That you'd love one another so that the world might see that you're my disciples through your love. It can't be about our agendas. It can't be about our wishes, our wants, our desires. But that doesn't mean at the same time that God doesn't share his desires with you because when you delight in him, he gives you the desire of your heart. So a lot of what it is that you're desiring, it's because you've been intimate with him. And there's been a seed that's planted and you're the only one that can bring to pass what it is he wants released. Your womb is the life he chose. Your desire, Those desires he's placed in you is the yes he wants to release and let go arise shine your light has come arise shine not arise reflect it's in you already your light has come here's what light does it reveals what you couldn't see before men and women were in the dark until Christ came behold these people sitting in deep darkness all of a sudden the light has shone upon them meaning what your purpose has been revealed the value of your life has been revealed the why of your life has been revealed. Behold, in him is light, and, and or behold, in him was the life, and the life is the light of men, John 1.4. So through the Son, I see who I am and why I'm here. And I'm not here for you. To esteem me, to love me, to treat me a certain way. I am here for his image, his likeness, and his glory, and that's it. Now I'm called to love you. Whether or not you love me back is irrelevant to me. 
I'm to be about his business. And the only reason why people are hurt and frustrated, you may not like to hear this, but I believe this with all my heart, is people are not your problem. You're your problem. You're your problem. The way you see it, the way you take it, the way it offends you, the way it hurts you. How can you offend a dead man? Somebody tell me, please. How can you intimidate a dead man? If we had a a casket up here and there was a man laying in and Tim came up and put a gun to his head, he's not going to be faced. He's not there. Now I'm called to deny myself because self's the problem. Not deny the devil, deny yourself, pick up your cross. That means this, are you willing to face the injustices of life because they're coming? People will treat you wrong. They'll talk wrong behind your back. They'll say things when nobody's looking. I've had it done with me. I can't tell you how many times I've been talked about behind closed doors. How many times I've been told I've been demonized. How many times I've been told that I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing. And if I take that personal, then I'm going to minister with an edge. And I'll never love you. I'm going to reject you before you reject me. I can't do that. Jesus wanted to gather Jerusalem, but it was them that didn't want to come, but it didn't change his mind about them. We have to be about the mission. I was challenging my my people the other night. I do this Thursday night service, and Jesus gathered the disciples in Matthew 10, and he said, hey guys, I give you authority over every single disease to heal diseases, to heal sickness over the enemy, And basically what he was saying is this, hey guys, arise, shine, your lights come, go. Freely you've received, freely give. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. And he told him this, he goes, but beware of men. Beware of them. Don't put all your hope in them. He said, there are some they are going to hand you over and they're going to do this, that, and the other, and there's going to be mistreatment and all that. And, And he said, for some, just so you know, by the way, he said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And I don't know about you, but I want the word of the Lord to divide my soul from my spirit. Sharper than any two-edged sword, able to go between joint and marrow. That's some deep stuff, man. Because it's my soul that ultimately needs to be renewed. The way I think, the way I see, the way I feel. I want it to be the way he thinks, the way he sees, the way he feels. He said, are you ready, essentially, for some of the enemies to be the members of your own household? Because the Lord said to me the other day, he said, Brian, he said, you know, you suffer for what it is you love. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 5 that talks about he learned obedience through that which he suffered. And he said, you know what, Brian? He said, my son, he suffered because he loved me, but he suffered because he loved you. But I won't suffer if I love myself. I'll protect myself. And I won't love you. I might be in need of you. And I don't want to give you the authority to dictate my day and claim that Jesus is Lord. But if you have the ability to shape and mold me, you're more Lord than he is. So I wake up in the morning and I drive around and I say out loud, Father, I am so thankful this is not about me. This is the freest place on the planet. You called me to love and not be in need. 
You satisfy every need in me. You are my source of love. You give me purpose. You're the why behind my what. And I can only fly as high as my why. What motivates man is what determines everything. The love of Christ controls us or compels us. And I talk to him like that. Father, thank you so much. I relinquish every right because there isn't a single thing I'm owed and a dead man has no rights. The only right I have is to love. Not find fault with you. Not get caught up in foolish arguments and bickerings over genealogies and disputes about the law, this, that, and the other that we all fight over. No, I'm called to love you. I'm called to see what's in you and bring it out of you. I'm not called to take you personal. And the Lord said this to me one day. He said, would you please stop taking personal people's personal issues? People can only give what they have. And if they're rejecting you, they're probably not their own biggest fan. So there's there's a desperation that's in my heart. And every time there's been a move of God, a significant move of God in my life, it's been because of desperation. There's something about deep down desperate hunger that draws the activity of God. And I am desperate. Listen, I'm, listen, I don't want to take you personally. I don't want to live an offended life. I don't want it to be about me. I don't want my wife, my kids, or anybody to have the place in my life that's only reserved for God. Rise, shine, your light has come. See, here's the deal. When Christ came, now I understand that's a scripture that was written and prophesied to the nation of Israel, but has prophetic implications for us today. Arise, shine, your light has come. He has, he has shown, the light has come, but it's going to come still more. Arise, shine, your light has come. But here's the thing. There's a reason why Paul's writing in Ephesians 5, For this reason, it says, verse 14, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, the reason why is because a lot of us have allowed things that God has given us to fall asleep within us for various reasons. And we've been touching on this all weekend long. But 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one has been given a special gift. Therefore, employ it in serving one another, being good stewards, there's that word again, of the manifold grace of God. Everybody in this room has been given something. And if we're not careful, we'll allow fear or intimidation or a lack of use, or if it's about us, it'll put it to sleep. So Paul writes, for this reason it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead, which I find interesting because God has always seen sleep and death as the same. When he, goes to, when he comes to Jairus' house and he's going to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, what's he say? Hey, guys, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't cry. She's just asleep. She's physically dead. Or what about when Lazarus is raised from the dead and he tells him, he says, hey, guys, we got to go to Lazarus because Lazarus has fallen asleep. 
And they're like, well, if he's asleep, let's just let him go. If he's sick, that's the best thing he needs. Let him go. Let him sleep. Then he has to plainly tell him Lazarus is dead. Now, here's the thing. When you're asleep inwardly, you're dead outwardly. When you fall asleep inwardly, you are no use to anybody outwardly. A wake sleeper and arise from the dead. I hope you hear the order. You have to consciously make the decision to wake up. And get up, then Christ will shine on you. You can't wait for him to shine and say, well, when he does his thing, I'll get up. No, you got to get up. Wake up. Get up. Christ will shine on you. But it's not going to happen if it's about you. Your agenda, your way, what you think. Jesus is transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration and when the disciples saw something they never saw before and I talked a little bit about this Saturday and I said I would probably at some point revisit it but from a slightly different twist the point is this they see something it, it talks about clothing whiter than any launderer could white I mean the glory of God was and well here's the God here's what it says in Luke chapter 9 It says that he took Peter, James, and John with him up on the mountain. You know what it says about that? It says they were asleep. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. It doesn't matter what you've seen. And they saw more than we did. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, sometimes we can be so entertained by ministry Sometimes those that have been walking with, with God the longest can still fall asleep. Now, I'm sitting there thinking to myself as I'm reading this, I'm like, how are you guys snoozing, man? I'd be like, what's next, God? You might say, well, they're tired and they're physically tired from the journey. And, but I believe there's a deeper meaning to that. I believe that we can walk with him and, and we can actually fall asleep and not even realize it. And they were seeing all kinds of different stuff. But when they saw his glory, it says, then they were fully awake. That's when Peter said, hey, God, it's good for us to be here. Let us build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And here's what I think is so fascinating. Never once did they say, man, that miracle with the five loaves and the two fish, that was really cool. Let's build a tabernacle here. Or that time Lazarus got up, let's build a tabernacle here. Or that time when that leper was cleansed, why? Because people want to camp around where God's glory shows up. And the mystery is now out. The cat is out of the bag. The mystery is that Christ would once again, like you and I were talking this morning, Carl, the temple of Solomon, ornate. Why? Because God wanted to live in a house. And where does he want to live? Not in a house made with human hands. He wants to live in you. And he wants what's, what's in you to come out of you. But it can't. Sorry, it can't if it's about you. What the world is getting is you. Your hurt, your pain, your frustration. 
your unforgiveness. Come on, man. The Bible says forgive in the same way you have been forgiven. There's no right to hold on to unforgiveness. You have no right. You're dead to yourself. You can't fulfill. The greatest temptation in life is to fulfill the mission of God and stay alive. You can't. The greatest temptation in life is to satisfy the will of the Father in such a way that you don't have to die. There's Jesus. He's in the garden. Pressure. He's sweating blood and capillaries are bursting. And Some people say it would have been like an animal that's trying to claw and get me. And it was serious. He's under immense pressure. What's the scene? We talk about it all the time. He's tempted in every way. And we think, well, you know, hey, he's probably tempted to lust. And he was probably tempted to do this. What about the temptation, guys? To satisfy the will of the Father. You know why you're here. But Father, if there's any other way. If there's any other way for me to do this so I don't have to go through that. If there's any other way for me to fulfill your will without me dying, let me know. But the battle that was lost in the first garden was won in that garden. What what did we lose in the first garden? Well, I want to do it my way. And they didn't obey. What was one in the second garden? Not my will, but your will be done. That's the greatest temptation that will come to everybody in this room. At the end of the day, here it is, and I'm sorry it's this black and white. At the end of the day, whose life do you love more, yours or his? That's what it comes down to. That's ultimately what it comes down to. When you're in it with your spouse, whose life do you love more? Yours or his? When your kids are doing this, that, and the other, whose life do you love more? Yours or his? When you're at work or when you're in church and there's factions and there's disputes, whose life do you love more? Yours or his? Because I'll tell you what came out of Jesus when he was pressed, his love for his father and his love for you and I. And I'll tell you what, love never fails and it wasn't an option. And he wasn't going to change his mind. Over and over and over again in the Bible, you see it time and time again where people choose to love the very thing they were meant to let go of. What you hold on to, you lose. What you let go of, you find. And I told you this morning, that word for life, when it talks about that you would let go of your life, it's the Greek word for psyche. You've got to let go of how you see it, the way you feel about it, the way you think it should be. Now, I'm okay if you have opinions that are from the Lord on that area. But if it's shaped around you, you you got to let that thing die. And let me tell you this. Every prophetic person in here, you better hear me. I know of the temptation to feel like, well, they're just not listening to me. I can't tell you how many times I said things to Adam and my best friend. You better be willing and able to submit whether they go with what you said or not. And this is what the Lord said to me one day. He said, Brian, would you continue to do it if you never get the credit for it ever again? Would you continue to prophesy and share things with Adam or other churches, even if they don't do anything with it? Or even if one day all of a sudden Pastor Tim gets up and he preaches what I said a year ago, and they're like, Tim, this is amazing revelation. Would you still do it? 
You won't if it's about you. I've seen so many prophetic people hurt because the pastor didn't listen to them. And the only reason you're hurt is because you want the credit and it's about you. It's not up to you if they listen to you. Your job is to give the word. That's it. There's no guarantee everybody's going to listen. That's between them and God. But if I love you, even if you reject me, I'll go behind closed doors and I'll weep for you and I'll pray that word over you. But it doesn't mean I've got to schedule a time and an appointment with you and correct you. Is this making sense? Man, I feel like somebody's ready to stone me. I'll get in my car and take off before you throw your stones. Is this okay, Tim? I mean, this is heavy stuff. Are you okay? Okay. I believe you are. We're never going to shine, guys. People are not going to see the light if we're carrying what doesn't belong to us in the first place. It is impossible for you to do me like Jesus. It's impossible. Peace, joy, and righteousness only come from one place. You cannot be my source of peace and joy. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Let me tell you what the kingdom of God is according to Romans 14, 17. It's peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. You can't be that for me. Why do we still fall for that? Peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6. If you take care of what's in here, I will take care of what's out here. You take care of this. You guard your heart. You find your peace. You find your joy. You find love in your relationship with me. Righteousness comes from me. You find it in me. And I'll take care of everything else out here. The things the Gentiles eagerly seek. What are we going to wear? What are we going to eat? Where are we going to live? No, you take care of the storm in here and I'll take care of the storm out here. I think I may have shared this before in here, but that Mary and Martha story is one of my favorite stories in the entire planet. Why? Because it talks about how Mary chose the better part. It talks about how Martha was worried and bothered and distracted. My goodness, that was the word the Lord gave me for 2017. I can't think of a time in life where we're more distracted than we are right now. But this is what Jesus said. What Mary chose will not be taken away from her. And this is the point he was making to Martha. The assault that comes against you, all that worry, all that busyness, all those distractions, what I'm building in Mary, that won't be able to touch. The Lord wants to build something in you that becomes a force outside of what comes against you. The peace you can walk in can become the force against the chaos that's outside of you. But you've got to steward that in a relationship with God. You've got to wake up in the morning and say, Father, I am so thankful that you love me. I am so thankful that John 14, 27 is true. When you said, peace, I give to you. My peace, I leave with you. Not as the world gives. Why? Because the world gives it temporary, Father. You're not changing your mind. Truly, 
You are the person of peace. You're the prince of peace. And you've chosen to make your home in me. Father, I thank you that no man owes me anything. I thank you that all my needs are satisfied in you. Father, thank you for sharing your love with me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for never giving up on me. Thanks for wanting me when I didn't want myself. Thanks for never leaving me, Father. God, even in the times when I don't feel it, I know it. Thanks for opening the eyes of my heart. Thanks for being greater than what I feel. Thank you, Lord, that the whole reason I'm here is to bear witness to your image and glory. Father, no man owes me anything. I'm not on the planet for myself. I don't need things to go my way. Father, that's the greatest trap of the enemy. I am here for you. You created man to walk with you and to know you and to manifest you, and you haven't changed your mind. Father, I just choose today, Lord, to let go of every one of my rights, God, because you told me to deny myself, Father, and I just choose today. I choose death today. Father, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but you live in me. In this life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus, I'm choosing today to trust in you. Thank you that you're here. Thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you lead me and guide me in the truth. Thanks for being my friend. And you know my heart. God, I want to love you back with the love you give me. I want to serve you all the days of my life. I lay it all down before you. You're my best friend. That's how I pray. That's how I pray. And if you think you're going to wake up one day and just start praying like that, you probably have a better chance of running in the Olympics tomorrow. That comes from carved out relationship and knowing what I know to be true in that word. And if you heard me, if you were listening to me, I was quoting a lot of scripture. Why? Because the word of God becomes my shield. Here's something. Let me give you this little tidbit. Because people aren't your problem. We have a guy who just got recently saved and rededicated his life to the Lord. and He's an awesome guy and he's an orthodontist and money this and money that. We went out to dinner with him. He's got, man, he's got Eagle season tickets, man. I'm trying to get real close. You know what I'm saying? That sounds so manipulative. Anyway, I am hoping he's going to take me one day. This is what he said. He said, if the problem was inside of me, God would have given me surgery tools. But because it's on the outside of me, he's given me armor. And I put that thing on every day. Father, I thank you. I thank you for who you are to me. And I thank you that we're growing closer together, closer still not changed your mind. You chased me. The whole reason I'm chasing you is because you first chased me. The whole reason I'm chasing you, you always live in response to what God did first. Always. You only love him because he loved you first. You only chase him because he first sought you. I come to seek and save that which was lost. You serve because he came to serve, not to be served. You sing because he first sang over you. We have to keep this simple. I cannot look to you to satisfy what only he can satisfy. I'm called to love you. 
And let me tell you what love's definition is. It's not just what we read at a wedding. This is going to sound sharp and I don't mean it to. If you can be just as hurt and offended by the people you claim you love, you didn't love them. Love doesn't seek its own. Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Love isn't rude. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices in the truth. Love is kind. Love is patient. If I can be just as hurt and just as offended by the people I say I love, I probably didn't love them. I probably needed them. And when they didn't come through and they failed an expectation that I probably didn't verbalize, that became my permission slip to manifest something less than Jesus. So all I'm doing tonight, and again, you know, I don't have any notes. All I'm doing tonight is I'm trying to rebuild what's been devastated. I'm trying to rebuild the former devastations. I'm trying to lay a healthy foundation underneath you so you can't be shaken. I want to recommission you with a greater vision and a higher calling. I want to give you wings to fly. I want people to encounter the... Listen, you have something so special within you. The world desperately needs it. It needs to encounter the Christ in you. And I'll tell you this. As long as people choose not to forgive, you keep alive the offense. The offense loses its grip when we choose to forgive. And I'll tell you this. It's not enough just to forgive. You have to build a stronghold of compassion in its place. The enemy loves nothing more than to take territory in people's lives. He'll take it in your mind. He'll take it in your finances. He'll take it in your relationships. He'll take it from your position. When we tear down what he's built, it's not enough just to tear it down. You've got to rebuild something in its place. I'm going to tell you something. And I I mean this. And I'm not making light of things that people have walked through. Listen, but I'll tell you this. Human sympathy is not setting people free. Truth sets people free. The people that have done what they've done, that have hurt you the most, cut you the deepest, I promise you, never would have done it if they knew who they were, were walking with the Holy Spirit, filled with the love of God, they never would have done it. So why, why do I need to hold against them what they didn't understand? That's why Jesus could say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And the implication is what? If they knew, they wouldn't have done it. So let's just let people off the hook. Let's choose to give a gift they don't deserve in the same way you've received one that you don't deserve. And truthfully, you can only forgive to the extent that you understand how much God has forgiven you. And in the only, it's the only place in the Bible where we see the reason, aside from we love because he first loved us, the reason why people love is because of what they've been forgiven of. Those that have been forgiven much, love much. 
It grieves the Holy Spirit of God when we refuse to give what it is we've freely received. It's not okay to want love and not give it. It's not okay to want mercy and not extend it. It's not okay to want forgiveness and not give it. It grieves God's Spirit. And the greatest, I believe, the greatest demonstration, I love signs, wonders, I love prophetic words, I love healing, but if I can walk in such a way where I, may, I walk in peace, righteousness, and joy. Why? Because they're states of being. And people look and they see that in my life. That will be a louder voice than anything else, I promise. You seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. You take care of this. You guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life. And I can't afford to let offense in. I can't afford to let stuff get in there that doesn't belong there I can't the love of Christ has been revealed all have died whether people are taking advantage of that or not I can take advantage of it and I can't be a prophetic person if I just weigh a book by its cover I can't I can't be a prophetic person if I just know what's wrong with you And I can't see with the eyes of God if I'm hurt, if I'm offended, if I'm wounded. Because all of that stuff, even what you hear, will be filtered through that lens. And God wants to remove the scratched lenses in this place. What you hear will ultimately be filtered by what you believe about yourself and what you believe about God. The way you see will be determined by how you see yourself, what's been done to you. Listen, guys, God's made you completely right. People can't do that for you. He's made you the righteousness of Christ in God, the righteousness of God in Christ. I don't want to hand my identity over to the way people treat me or what they say or what they don't say. The love of Christ controls us having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And those that live, so that those that live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Why? Because when we live for ourselves, that's the source of trouble what you hold on to you lose but what you let go of you find and I shared this earlier this morning when we live contrary to the purpose for which we are created we create all kinds of messes all kinds of fires you can't put metal in a microwave you're going to create a fire you can't put sand in a gas tank you weren't meant to run off of the way people see you how they treat you and what they say about you Hey guys, if you're living for the honor of man, you'll never receive the honor of the Father. If you're wanting to be seen, if you're wanting to be appreciated, if you're wanting to be noticed, let me ask you a question. What if that never comes? What if it never happens? And all the while, there was Jesus 
waiting for you to take advantage of every resource, every inheritance. All of his power waiting, residing in you to be tapped into. And I can't imagine standing in front of him one day and saying, but you don't know what they did to me. Because he would have every right to look me in the eyes and say, but you don't know what they did to me. But he doesn't think like that and act like that. And I'm thankful for Dan Moore and his example. And I'm thankful for when he told me one day, he said, Brian, if I can't picture it in Jesus' mouth, why does it belong in mine? If I can't see Jesus saying it, why are we saying it? If we're made in his image and likeness, why is it so easy to say the things that we do? But I think if we understood who we are and the way the Father sees us and how he feels, I'm telling you, we wouldn't say some of the things we say. This is what I'm going after this year. Have you arrived, Brian? By all means, no, I have not. But I can tell you this. The time period from when an offense was committed to when frustration hits or when I feel offended is a much narrower window than you could possibly imagine. Because I see it for what it is. And I cut that thing off and say, Lord, nobody owes me anything. Even on the smallest scale, I don't do the dishes so that my wife says something in return. I promise you, I don't. It is not scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It is not tit for tat. It is I love you, period. And it's not just words. There's action that's behind it. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples. By the love that you have for one another. Greater love has no one than this. Than he that lays his life down for his friends have this attitude in yourselves that was also found in Christ who although he existed in the equality or in the form of God did not consider those things anything to be where he even though he existed in the well I'm just going to read it to you in Philippians 2 because I'm not quoting it right but I'll tell you what man I remember Dan Moeller saying that God would not let him leave this passage of scripture for months. And then finally he woke up one day and said, go ahead, Dan, read, a few, read Philippians 3. Now you tell me how I'm going to live offended if this is inside of me. Do nothing. Wow. Do no thing. Nothing from selfishness nothing no selfish motivation you have to be your own best friend can I tell you something you know why you do what you do at the end of the day and the way you react to things reveals you can I tell you something whatever offends you reveals you It's a mirror. It shows you exactly where you're at. 
Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Wow. It probably won't take you personal if I lay my life down for you and I look at you and I look at you and I think that you're I consider you more highly than I consider myself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude. Which attitude? The attitude we just read. In yourselves, which was also in Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father this morning I made mention of this that if we would pray the way that Jesus prayed the world would look completely different Father glorify your name this is what Jesus is saying I understand why it is that I'm here The Son of God wasn't even about His own name. And because of that, He was given the name above every name. When we choose to not make it about us, because like I said this morning, if it's about His name being glorified, that means by default, your name can't be. That means it's not about waiting for people to finally notice. It's not about waiting for people to finally say thank you. What if they never do? What if they don't? But your why behind your what is everything. It's not just judge for the deeds done in the body. It's also because why you did it. What your motive was. That's what's coming with me. And I don't want to be motivated out of hurt and pain and offense. I want to be compelled, controlled by love. And the only way that's happening is I have to see that ugly thing for what it is and understand I was never created for me. I was not created for things to go my way. I was created to love. I was made in the image and likeness of God and that image is love. And in that love, it doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. It covers a multitude of sin. Doesn't mean it makes allowance for it. It just means I see something greater than what people manifest. And I don't have to allow the sin against me to reproduce sin in me. Sin would love nothing more. Offense would love nothing more than to reproduce itself in you. You know why Jesus could say, behold, the ruler of the world is coming and he's got nothing in me? It's because the enemy could never successfully plant anything in him. And when the enemy can't plant anything in you, he has no influence over you. But his greatest weapon will be, I promise you. And I'm going to tell you something, and I hate this. I hate that this has happened. I've encountered more resistance, more brokenness, more cut off of relationship from my brothers and sisters than unbelievers. And I don't like that. 
but it is what it is. It's very heartbreaking, Shirley. I don't like going into a grocery store and seeing somebody they haven't seen in a while, and it's weird. It shouldn't be that way. But it's only weird if I allow it to be weird. But if I love you, it won't be weird. Even if it's weird for them, it won't be for me. So this is what I do. You heard how I pray in the morning. I wake up and I say, God, I give myself to this. I see in Christ the life I was created to live and I don't hold any rights. And what I hold on to, I lose. The harder you hold on, the greater the grip, the more destruction it's doing. I remember a vision that Graham Cook told and it's stuck with me for a long time. He said... I had a vision one day and it was pretty vivid and I was on this hill and I could look down over these rolling hills in this beautiful beautiful meadow and I saw Jesus playing with all these children. And I saw Jesus look up to me and he pointed at me and I got so excited that the Son of God took notice of me and he began walking up the hill but I noticed the closer Jesus got, I noticed the angrier his face became. And he said the closer he got, the more he began to back up and think to himself, what is he so upset and frustrated about? And he pointed his finger in Graham's face and said, Graham, give me back my stuff. And he sat there and he was paralyzed. He's like, "Uh, Graham, give me back my stuff. Lord, I don't know what you're talking about. Don't mess with me, Graham. Give me back my stuff. And he said he got so just flabbergasted, he fell on his knees and began crying, saying, Lord, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, Graham, give me all of your anxiety, all of your stress, all of your offense, all of that hurt, all of that pain. That's not for you to carry. That's mine. Why are you holding on to what people have done to you? That's for me to carry. Give me back my stuff. Both not just your sins, but your griefs he carried. Not just what you did, but what's been done to you. Isaiah 53. And I believe that if the blood of Christ is able to forgive me for my sin, I believe it's possible for me to live in such a way that I haven't been sinned against. It's not just to atone for my sin. I believe it's the empowerment to live in such a way where I don't have to take personal what has been done and committed against me. Guys, listen, people do what they do for all kinds of reasons. And I wish it wasn't that way. But there is brokenness in this world. There's people that don't understand and God's wanting to give knowledge and people are rejecting the knowledge. The Bible talks about in all you're getting, get understanding, Proverbs 4, 7. And there are people that just don't want to understand and they just have things all figured out and that's how it goes. But I don't ever want my heart to get hard towards you. Man, I don't. I want to love you with the love of Jesus. I want to love you the way that I'm loved. I want to abide in the love of Christ. I don't want to abide in what you've done to me. If you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. God forbid we're continuing in yesterday and what's happened in the past. 
I don't want to be a disciple of my past and what's been done to me. I want to continue in what God has spoken over me because in these last days, Christ has spoken. The cat's out of the bag. He reveals my value. I've been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6. I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine. I'm not going to give you my value. You can't give it to me. I'm not going to think, I'm not going to throw things towards you thinking that you're going to satisfy what God can satisfy. No, but I can love you. And this isn't arrogance and this isn't pride. I'm telling you, like, I need Jesus every day. I'm learning humility. Like, I wake up and I understand, like, I I need to... Paul talked about the fact that he died daily. Now, I don't know if that means he was waking up every day reminding himself that he's dead or if the fact that he's just taking a beating and he's got a treasure in an earthen vessel and he just, everywhere he goes, he's just taking a licking and keeps on ticking. He says, outwardly, we're decaying, but inwardly, man, there's something that's happening. There's something inside of me, momentary light afflictions producing for me the eternal weight of glory. Why? Because he had his eyes on where he was going. He had his eyes on the prize. And I'll tell you what, if anybody else had a reason to be hurt and frustrated, it was Paul. You know how many times he was whipped? 39 times? Five times. You know how many times he was beaten with rods? Three. How many times he was stoned? Once. And you think that stopped him? It did not. And I look, I'll I'll never forget. I'll never forget when Jesus said to me one day, Brian, I want you to read the book of Acts with new eyes. I don't want you to read and see all the times that they performed signs and wonders and people were filled with the Spirit. I want you to read it, and I want you to see all the times those boys were persecuted. And their persecutions outnumber every miracle in that book. If you study it, greater than the times shadows healed people and handkerchiefs healed people and the times they laid hands on people, their persecutions, and I'm telling you, because when you're squeezed, what comes out of you, that's what's going on. Pressure reveals you. Offense reveals you. And you've got guys in here walking away and rejoicing. Listen, there was a point in time where they did. They did love what it is they ultimately gave up in life. They did scatter when the shepherd was struck. But each one of those guys, history records, the way that they died, you know what happens in the end of the day, what they loved more called themselves, they ultimately let go of because they loved Jesus the most. And you've got people, disciples walking, rejoicing because they were considered worthy to suffer for Christ's name. Peter, asleep, chained next to guards, keeping watch over him. Herod, wow, it impresses the people when I put James to death. Let's arrest Peter. And Peter's not hanging out, waking up, interceding, crying. How could this happen? He's asleep. Why? Because when he squeezed, what came out of him? Peace. Paul and Silas, back stripped open. What comes out of them? Singing and rejoicing. What if, what if when people hurt you, what comes out of you is the exact opposite of what's been happening and what's been your story in the past? What if when you're hurt and offended and people do what they do because they don't understand, you hit your knees and you break out in the song? Because those who purpose to live godly, they will be persecuted. Blessed are those, Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, not the do attitudes. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, 1 Peter 4. 
that's come upon you for your testing, the proof of your faith, 1 Peter 1. You don't know what's in you until you take a test. The test reveals what you know. The test reveals your level of comprehension. Everything in life is a test, I promise you, everything. The promotions you get, they're a test to find out if you love your position more than him. The valleys you walk through, the trials you walk through, whose life do you love more? What I give up, I find. When I hold on to, I lose. But I will never shine if it's about me. God forbid I shine so that it draws people to me. No, I want to shine because I love the Father. Because I love you. to you what it is that I felt like the Lord gave me for 2018 and I'm just going to pray for you guys to be recommissioned and I know I just gave you something heavy again you may have to go back and and re-listen to it for the last I don't know four or five years the Lord has the Lord has given me and if I could say it like this I, I don't have all the answers guys we prophesy in part and we know in part If any prophet ever tells you that he has it all figured out, they're wrong. They're not telling you the truth. You prophesy in part, you know in part. But every good painter or every good writer, they will approach the manuscript or they'll approach the blank canvas, but they already know what it is that they're going to do before they do it. That's the Father. And He gives us the privilege because the Holy Spirit will disclose to you and I what's to come. And He will give us the privilege of glimpsing different strokes. And all of a sudden we would sit there and say, oh, I see another piece. I think I know where it is that he's going and what it is that he's doing. Every book that I've ever written, I knew the end from the beginning. And because I knew the end, I knew where to start. And that's how God works. He knows the end from the beginning. So he gives us the privilege of seeing these different strokes that he's weaving in and where it is that he's taking us and what it is that he's doing. And it's not that God has... has never not wanted us to shine there are just times where he emphasizes things more and I believe he's bringing us to a place there's something going on in this year where there's something that's opened up for you and I to not just understand our identity more and what we're talking about with living unoffended and understanding your value and who you are to him and the love that he has for you but there's something that's going to change when we make it less about he loves me guys come on we've picked all those those pedals he loves you My pastor friend at Harvest Chapel, Don Wallabaugh, had that vision one day where he was in this field and there were, I don't know what it was. I don't know what flowers have petals and which don't. I don't know. Daisies. We'll just say daisies. And he's sitting there and he picked up this daisy and it had one petal on it. And the Lord said to him, go ahead, Don, pull it. He loves me. There is no he loves me not. So let's just settle that. Your circumstances are not the evidence of God's love. The way that people treat you is not the evidence of God's love. That thing, bloodstain, is the evidence of God's love. In this is love. Not that you first loved God, 1 John 4.10, but that He first loved you and gave His Son to be the propitiation for your sins. Oh, the wonderful cross. 
just to stare at it, just to think the name. I was asked today about my prayer life. Sometimes I just sit there and I think the name Jesus. You know why? Because he's as close as the mention of his name. Sometimes when I pray, I just exhale, Jesus. See, I well up with tears thinking about it because I know he's there. I know he loves me. I settled that in my heart. You can't be for me. You can't. I can't let you take me off my course. And just so we're clear, guys, I was a part of a congregation of 400 that doesn't talk to my wife and I anymore. So don't think I don't know what I'm talking about. Some of my closest friends said, you're wrong. Women coming to my house to come in my house and tell me you're wrong. And I'll tell you what, you'll never know the comfort of the Holy Spirit until you walk through something like that. I'm not looking for a fight and I'm not picking a fight with the devil, but I'm ready for it if it comes. You're not taking me out and you're not backing me down. That sounds like pride. No, I'm just confident in God. Those were people that said, we're with you to the end. Those were people that knew me. I ministered to their kids. But you know what? If I had the opportunity to go back and minister to them, I would. I wouldn't hold a thing against them. Because they didn't know what they were doing. So why would they don't understand? Why does that have to affect what I do understand? People are not my problem. But if I take it personal, I'm my problem. People coming to my wife saying, I can be friends with you, but I can't be friends with your husband. That's a weird spot to be in as a spouse. My wife said, we're not doing that. I can't be your friend if you can't tolerate my husband, if you don't accept my husband. I've had visions of standing in front of some of those people. I believe they're going to come to pass where there's embraces and there's hugs. And and I have forgiven them. I've had visions of preaching at Messiah College's chapel services, but I got thrown out of there too. But I won't back down sharing what it is that God's given me to speak because I cannot afford to let intimidation take me out. And I know there are times where I've backed down, but I'm telling you, I see that thing for what it is. I see the deception of living for self. I see the twist of intimidation. And I'm I'm not going to bite that thing anymore. 
I had a person come up to me one time and say, you're not going to preach that anymore and put their finger in my face. You're going to stop that right now. And you know what? I was deeply intimidated. But you know what Jesus says? Don't fear what man can do to you. And we were talking about the fear of the Lord this morning. Fear the one. I'm not going to tell you what it is that he says he can do, but you can look for it for yourself in Matthew 10. The fear of the Lord is the antithesis to the fear of man. So you know what happened? Thank God for best friends. Adam said to me, he said, you can't back down, you got to preach it. man makes me want to cry in the face of fear I preached probably one of the the boldest messages I could preach and it wasn't because I wasn't afraid I was deeply afraid and you know what happened God fell in that place and even the ones that were there waiting to find what was wrong and finding fault could not deny that God was significantly But I told Tim, some of you might think this is a little weird. Because some of you might think that's, you couldn't imagine this. It's easy to be bold up here. It's not always easy to be bold one-on-one with people. When you got to say some of the hard things. I don't want to be a lion in a pulpit and a coward one-on-one. His soul takes no pleasure in those who shrink back. Because he can't accomplish in you what he wants to do. 